0: Welcome. You're listening to audio from Life Church in Chico, California. We're so glad that you're here. Life Church's mission is simply to connect people to Jesus. You can find out more about our mission and who we are on our website at lifechurchchico.org. All right, let's dive into this week's message. All right, so hey, we're going to uh, jump right back into this series called Truth Be Told. I have Thoroughly enjoyed this series, just walking through, just sharing truth and talking about the truth of who Jesus is, talking about the truth of the gospel in the midst of where we are in society where we are in the current cultural climate that, that is the world. And uh, it has been so, I don't know, it's been very helpful to me. And I've gotten a ton of feedback just saying, man, keep talking, just keep speaking the truth. And and we will continue to do that. And uh, I just want to give a little shout out to Lana. Last week, she did an incredible job talking about words, the power of words. You know, yeah, where is, oh, she's probably in class. But Lana did an incredible job. If you missed that, I want to encourage you to go back, you know, online and listen. Um, she just did a phenomenal job, and and uh, I love that when I mean, she's talking about the power of words and and the truth about words, and really even more so the words we listen to, maybe even the lies we listen to, the things that we pay attention to. It's been profound to uh, listen to that and know how the Lord has been lining this up, where I'm going to talk about shame. Oh, man. When I say that word, I feel like they're just like, whoa, I just got a little heavy. Like, I saw all your shoulders slump a little bit when I said that. It was really strange. Um, you know, shame is is something that I, I was thinking about. I have never specifically just took a Sunday to talk about shame. It's certainly come up in, in sermons, right? It's certainly come up in, in the conversation that we have about whatever scripture that we're on, but but I've never solely said I'm gonna just hit on shame because I think today shame is something that um every single person in this room can identify with. There there's one person who can identify with it apparently. Like all of us, in fact, I believe from a theological standpoint, and I'll show you this through scripture, I think everybody deals with shame because of the brokenness of man. And so if it's something that we all relate with, we, can, we all understand to a degree, uh, I think it reads out in our lives differently, but it's something that we've got to, we've got to grab a hold of and handle and, and really present to Jesus And so we're going to talk about this, but before I get into any of my thoughts, I thought, you know what, I'm going to, um, I didn't do this last service, but for you, I'm going to do it because I think it's going to be better. Um, So this is why you come to the second service, not the first service. But open your Bibles to uh, Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter five, and we're getting to this place. And by the way, I just wanna encourage you. First of all, if you don't have a Bible, we wanna give you one. There's Bibles in front of you probably. There's free Bibles where Elliot is. She, yeah, there's Elliot back there. Uh, take a Bible. If you, if you have friends who need Bibles, take them. That's, that's what we wanna do. Um, but maybe, I know some of you are cool with your iPhones and Androids and all this stuff, but there's something about the Bible. And here's why. Here's my, and actually I was talking to my friend about this this week. You can be in Scripture, and then you go, oh, that reminded me of this Scripture right here. Boom, and you're right there. Because sometimes in your phone, it doesn't really work as well. But maybe you're way more advanced technology than I am. Mark chapter 5, we're entering into the scene where Jesus is is surrounded by a ton of people. They are just coming all out of the woodworks to come to see Jesus, to come be around him, to experience Jesus. And it's a really it's a phenomenon what's happening with this in this moment. Okay, so so Jesus is in this town and and all the people are coming to him and and Jarius the synagogue official from the temple comes to Jesus. He falls at his feet and he basically says, Jesus, my daughter's dying. I need you to come lay hands on her so she might be healed. Which is a sermon in all of itself, okay? We're not gonna go there uh, because we're gonna hit on shame, which is the next story. So Jesus is walking with his disciples, Jarius, who's a wreck, and all of these people, and they're trying to walk to Jarius's house, okay? So this is the setting, this is the tone where, I mean, it is crowded. It is It is not just one Jesus and one of his disciples. It's a lot of people, and they're going to go heal Jairus' daughter. So they're on mission, and it gets interrupted, By somebody else. So it says this in verse 24 it says, So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You you see the people crowding around you. His disciples answered, and and yet you can ask, who touched me? Isn't it funny how the disciples are like Jesus? Are you so stupid? Like, isn't this kind of what we do sometimes with the Lord? Like, I am one of those disciples at times. I'm not the I'm not Jesus being like your guys are such morons. Come on, get with it. No, I, I usually am that guy. Like Jesus, can't you figure this out already? Like, who, there's tons of people around you. So they're they're just confused. Verse thirty two it says. Let's pause real quick before I read this. I think the Holy Spirit wants to do something today. And it's not going to happen without getting into the Word of God. So please promise me that if you never, if you don't, if you go to a different church at some point in your life, they better open up the Word. But this is why. it pierces to the very place that you need it to pierce. And it speaks to your heart the way that only the Holy Spirit, in cohesion with the word of God, can get to. If you don't open the word, you don't have that. And Jesus kept looking around. Who touched me? Verse 33, then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. The whole truth. Not part of it. Not just enough to get by. Oh, She said, she told him the whole thing. And there's reason behind that, what well, I'll get to. And he said to her, daughter, daughter, daughter. Jesus didn't know this person. And yet he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Let's talk about shame real quick. Shame is this, it says this, it's, it's a painful emotion from an awareness or inadequacy or guilt. An awareness of inadequacy or guilt. What I've, as I was reading up and, and doing my study for this, I, I, I kind of formulated my own definition from a spiritual standpoint and it's this, and I don't have it on the board, so you can write it down and tweet it later because it's awesome. Don't you like how bold I am? says this, the bondage, the bondage of sins past and a hindrance to a hope-filled future. The bondage of sins past, okay, and a hindrance to a hope-filled future. You see, shame is, is that ball and chain that's anchored to the concrete floor that doesn't allow you to get anywhere else but the distance it gives you it deters you from any future. So I'm bound to this thing. I, I can't, if my, if my leg is wrapped, I want to, but I can't. I'm gonna go, but I can't. Shame is what locks us in place because we believe lies that are untrue. That I'm not good, that I'm not qualified, that I'm not enough, that I'm not this, that I'm not bad, I'm not him, I'm not her, I'm, I'm not a good mom, I'm not good a good dad. I mean, they just go on and on and on. And I just wanna say, shut up. Anybody with me? Like, God, yeah, in Jesus' name. But Jesus, friends, we go to all the different places for all of the different things to gain all of the answers. And what Jesus is, is he's the the ax that will cut off and break through the chain to set us free. Thank you. But we we try all of the other things. There's two sides of shame. There's the public shame. And there's the private shame. And we need to talk about them because socially, culturally, uh, shame is a big deal. Culturally, we have a shaming culture. Uh, Past sins are always accounted for. And and that's a real tragedy of, of someone who doesn't know Christ and the forgiveness in which we receive from him, right? If somebody doesn't know Christ, they don't know forgiveness like Christ has forgiven us. So therefore, I have just pure judgment. And therefore, shame cuts off. So what ends up happening here is the cancel culture goes, goes raging. This is, cancel culture is, is an absolute symptom of shame. Because one mistake in your past, well, I've got to hide that. Because if they know, then I'll be disqualified. So I can't say anything. So I just put it in the pressure cooker and I just set it aside and I leave it pretending like it's not there. The soul of shame is a pressure cooker that only mounts with pressure, and if you don't hit the release valve, his name is Jesus. It's going to blow up in your face. You see what shame does? It's just bottle, 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 and bottle, and Push it with it, poof. That's what shame does. But we hide and we isolate so that nobody sees the darkness and the public sphere the culture says i can't believe you it's interesting the world says there is no shame because there's no judgment cuz you do you right like that's the lie we've been talking about a lot about the lies of society well that's the, like well your truth is your truth so there's no shame no no yeah that's cool yeah you want to have a drag show at drag queen show at the public library yeah you do you Are you kidding? Anybody else frustrated at that? I don't know, it's just me. So this is is the public thing. No shame, but then when somebody does something wrong, all shame, (laughs) canceled. Like nobody survives that. Nobody, it's you eat each other in that world because Jesus isn't involved. All right, so the private shame is this. Shame is often called the swampland of the soul the swampland of the soul. Nobody wants to endure it. Nobody wants to traverse it. You just leave it where it is because I don't wanna go there. I don't wanna be honest and vulnerable and and share all the things and feel all the things and deal with the, so I'm just gonna, it's the marshland that I will not endure. So we're just gonna leave that over there. I know it's bad, it looks bad, but look at all the pretty things on the outside. My life's together. I've got a family. I'm married. It's all happy. I've got a job. I'm successful. But man, that swampland, that's going to get you stuck. At some point, it will. Shame leads or tends to be self-reinforcing. Let me read this. Bear with me. It says this, when we experience shame, we tend to turn away from others because the prospect of being seen or known by another carries the anticipation of shame being intensified or reactivated. That's that pressure cooker of shame that that is just, it causes us to isolate because we don't want shame to be intensified. Feeling shame itself becomes a tightening noose. It's interesting how it works when we feel shame and then we feel shame for feeling shame. And it's just this tightening noose that ends up choking us. And it's a really, it's, it's a similar repetitive cycle that anxiety has. It's a really unique thing because the more, if I get anxious, the more I think about how anxious I am and therefore I am anxious and then I'm really anxious and then it just keeps on repeating. So just the fact that you showed up, I mean, like, praise God. Good job. I mean, because even just social anxiety can get us to just stay home. So, so praise God. But shame causes this thing to restrict us. Shame is a catalyst to isolation and loneliness. And let me just tell you, add on the fact of social media and being online and disconnecting from real life. Sorry for those of you who are online, but come on inside the house. We want you here. Like that does a disservice to like it, it manifests shame when you're isolated. It, it multiplies shame with ferocity. Like when you are isolated and alone, you're only with your own thoughts. We just we just go further and further into the swampland. And soon enough, we're all on our own and we do not even know how to get out. Let's talk about biblical shame real quick. The Hebrew and Greek, I'm just gonna read this. Disappointed or dishonored in oneself has a deep reproach of oneself, an emotion which can be bondage that keeps one from being known. Shame's goal is isolation and loneliness due due to personal awareness of, quote unquote, not being good like those around me. All right, uh, biblical dictionary. This, this had a few thoughts that I wanted to put in here. Shame was a core value in the biblical world, actually. It was kind of unique. Um, when you hear that, you go like, uh, core value? Shame? That doesn't sound right because our society is like, no shame. Don't be judgmental. Well, that's not how life works. I can tell you vehemently that having a drag show at a library is absolutely opposed to Christ without, without a doubt. So is that judgment? Is that shaming them? I don't know what that is. It's honest. Right? Okay. So there's this value of shame that they would talk about it like this. Well, this is how I talk about it because they didn't have bowling alleys back then. But we went bowling the other day, and, and <clears throat> you know, some people put up those, those gutter bumpers, right? You know what I'm talking about? Um, you're a bunch of cheaters. That's what you are. And shame on you for having those, by the way. Like, you know, like, you, you have these gutter bumpers, and you're like, well, you, you're forced to hit, hit the pins. And I'm like, I'm so competitive. And I'm like, kids, I'm sorry. We're not going down that path. You get 16 gutter balls? I paid for them. That's fine. All right. But, but shame as a, as a value, okay, I say it softly, right? Because we all deal with shame. But there's a proponent of shame that actually keeps us healthy to a degree. Because psychologically, when I understand shame, I'm not going to do some things because the shame that will endure. Does that make sense? Like, because I'm going to step into shame if I do those things. So therefore, it's a social dynamic that says, I'm not going to do this because I don't want shame on my family. Right? So, so that's where there's this biblical value of, uh, of shame that's, that was really unique to me. Uh, a, a famous theologian, he, put a, he puts it this way. He says, when secularization had its, has had its full sway, and I would say that's probably true of today, it will leave a generation devoid of shame. Okay, so no shame. If you show me a generation that lacks shame, I will show you a generation that is monstrous in its appetite. Is that not what we're living out? Okay, so interesting that shame is actually... There's this value that's, that I know, I'm not gonna live in shame, but I'm gonna have conviction that says, I'm not going to do these things because um, I don't wanna shame my family. Now, I wanna, I wanna um, take guilt and shame and, and separate them because oftentimes they, they inter, inter, interweave, okay? Guilt is this, guilt is this. It's emerge, it emerges as a result of something I've done that negatively impacts someone else. It, it's in essence, I have done something bad to somebody else. So therefore I feel guilty, Okay. And we've all felt guilty at some point or another. Um, And so there's there's this feeling of guilt that usually goes away after a while, especially if I apologize, right? If I apologize, hey, I'm so sorry I yelled at you or I was mean, please forgive me. I mean, then usually it's gone, okay? So guilt is kind of fleeting. Shame, on the other hand, is deeply associated with a person's sense of self apart from interaction with others. It's, I am bad, period. And there's an internal belief that this swampland is just what I have to live with because that's who I am. And that's not who God made us to be. Can I get an amen? Amen. Okay. So as I'm speaking about this, I know we've read the story. We're going to highlight the story in a second of Jesus healing this woman. But there's a sense in all of us, man, shame can be just silenced by the power and the name of Jesus. And his name is the one that silences that, not like, oh, I'm just gonna get better. Oh, I'm not gonna think those thoughts. No, it's not like that. There's a spiritual aspect to this. Let me talk about some scripture real quick. Job says this, he says, if I am guilty, woe to me, even if I am innocent, I cannot lift my head for I am full of shame and drowned in my affliction. You see, shame happens even even if like Job didn't do anything. He didn't sin. He didn't cause the grief on his family and the loss of his family and his fortune and all that stuff. He didn't do anything. But even so, he says, shame has drowned me in my affliction. The depths of shame are real. Even when we haven't done things, it's pretty powerful. Psalms says this many times. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Don't let me be put to shame. Let the wicked be put to shame. So, So it really turns and says, I want my enemy with shame, not me, okay? So this really is almost like a curse. May all those who want my life be put to shame. In you, Lord, I will never be put to shame. All who worship images are put to shame. Those who boast in idols. Romans, Paul says this, anyone who believes in him, in Christ, will not be put to shame. Anyone. Anyone. Can I say anyone? That's all of us in this room. If you confess your belief of Christ, we're free of shame. So shame then ends up being a spiritual component that the enemy uses to distract us and pull us away. It's a detractor. Isaiah 61, seven says, instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. So when you're cut off from shame, that's that's the first blessing. The second blessing is you get to go be with Christ and do what he's asking you to do. It's a double portion of blessing that he frees us and he allows us to walk with him and be with him and and hopefully have eternity with him in salvation. The origin of shame is from the fall of man. Uh, Sin, uh, this is what I'll say. I have to say it carefully or else I'll say a different word, and I don't want to say that word in church, especially from the pulpit, but sin sent us shame. I made it through. It did, though. Shame is a result of the fall and the brokenness of man. Check it out. Adam and Eve, I'm not going to, you don't have to go there. I'm just going to read them real quick. In Genesis 2.25, after he made Adam and Eve and they were married, it says this, Adam and his wife were both naked. Can I get an amen? No? just that was weird for you? I'm sorry. I'm just going to let that settle for a second. Just wait. Timing matters with you. But it says this, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. That's powerful, you guys. They didn't go, oh, you're naked. Ooh, put some clothes on, honey. Ew. No, they, this was normal. And they felt no shame. This is the first time shame's introduced into the word of God. This is the first, first portion of like first understanding of shame. They had no shame. And isn't it interesting that society is all about body image? It's all about body image. I mean, even down to gender transfiguration and all that stuff, going from male to female. I mean, it's about identity. It's, it's totally shameful. It's awful. So they felt no shame. And then in seven, after they ate of the fruit, it says, then they realized they were naked. It's the first thing they noticed after they ate. Honey, are you naked? We should put on some clothes. So they realized they were naked, so they sewed figs together and made coverings for themselves. And the very next verse, it says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord. So they were, had so much shame, they had to cover themselves, they had to cover their identity, who they were, especially even with one another. And then even more so, shame also detracts us from being with the Lord. They, they hid. Shame is, is a, a master of helping us hide. And, and even in the church, it's just like, it's so easy just to go hide. And just have, have the, like Jesus calls out the Pharisees, right? He says, he says wow, you look, you, you look like whitewashed temples on the outside, but on the inside, you're decaying. You're dead. That's what shame does. It gives us this presence that we're all okay, but inside we're, we're just dying. But shame has such a tight lid like that pressure cooker, I don't know how to even talk about it. And his name is Jesus, and it's that release valve that releases the pressure so that he can take off the lid and dump out the gross food that you were going to eat through that pressure cooker, that, that swampland of the soul. Here's some lies of shame. First of all, I think shame uses your own voice. So when you hear these shameful lies, I think you hear them with your own voice, which tends to help you believe them even more. Well, I'm not that good. I'm not that great. I'm not as good as that person. I, I really can't compete with them. Oh man, I'm such a horrible dad. Like, man, I'm a really cruddy, cruddy father. Like, put, in, put in the spot, right? And, but it's, it's my own voice. And when trying to show up to, to engage and to participate in life and to have that hope-filled future, shame is very much like the bouncer at the door with your own voice saying, you don't belong here. You have no right. You have no place. You, you don't qualify. Where's your credentials? Like, you're not perfect. You need to be perfect to be in here. Isn't that one of the, the lies of shame, right? Like I've heard so many times, oh yeah, man, I couldn't step a foot in a church, man. I've sh- sh- struck, I'd be struck by lightning. I haven't heard that so many times. It's very odd. We all made it. <laughs> I guess, well done. I, I, think, I think defeating shame, the very first step of defeating shame is showing up. Just show up. Just show up and give Jesus an opportunity. The other lie of shame, the very one that I would probably say maybe is the most is I have to hide. I have to hide. I cannot, I cannot be seen fully. I can be known a little bit, but I cannot be seen fully because if they find out or if, or if they find out or she finds out or whatever, it's over. And that's a lie. So here we are. Here's the, the story of, this woman who was bleeding for twelve years and and I need you to understand the ramifications of this and and obviously, women understand this far greater than men do, but the pain and suffering wasn't just the bleeding. it was the isolation. it was the loneliness. it was it was completely a, a point of like not being able to be around family and around community. Loneliness and isolation is where shame also multiplies with that ferocity. And this is what was happening with her for 12 years. Most likely she was separated from her family. She most likely did not, I can't say fully, but I don't believe she had a husband. She wouldn't have any kids because of this issue. No community, no church, no friends, probably very few encouragers along the way. And no faith for the most part because she wouldn't be able to enter into even the temple because she was unclean. Her thoughts would most likely be, I am unholy and impure and nothing will ever change. You might say it will never change, but maybe change out those words with something else. But shame would be ringing in her ears consistently. And she's obviously desperate. She's suffered so much at the hands of doctors, it says. She spent all her money and it only got worse. It only got worse. I think sometimes instead of going to even just barely interact with Jesus and even just touch the hem of his garment, we often go to other resources for help. When Jesus is the true answer, he is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. And so we often go to other different people or counselors or individuals instead of coming to the feet of Jesus first and foremost, like this woman did. Now she had her path, right? 12 years, going to all the doctors, getting worse, spending all her money. She was probably homeless even. I just only imagine the shame that she encountered because of this. But she did one thing. She stepped into the crowd. You got to understand like this, she wouldn't ever have done this. This This would have been absolutely not okay. If she was bleeding in this moment, if she touched one person, they would have to leave for the entire day, wash all of their clothes, take a bath, and then they wouldn't be clean till evening. That's the ceremonial aspect of this. Like, just one person. So for her to be around a crowd, it was like leprosy. I mean, she could not, and for 12 years, she was probably known by this point, like, what's going on? And she entered into the crowd. So she had this boldness and audacity to enter into the crowd with Jesus because she saw Jesus as her only hope. Can I get an amen? She saw Jesus as this person. I've heard about him and it's my only option. I've got to get close to Jesus. If I just touch the hem of his cloak, the seed of faith led to a seed of action, which led to this miracle event, which led to her being a daughter. I love this point where Jesus, you know, she gets healed immediately and she overcame the shame. She, she, she entered into the crowd and, and she touches Jesus' cloak or, or, or his garment. And, and in the crowd, Jesus goes, who touched me? He felt the power go out of him. He knew somebody was healed, but he says, who touched me? I find it really unique, Put the disciples away. They don't know what they're doing. But Jesus is like, hey, somebody, somebody touched me. Somebody, somebody got healed. So he stops, and he asks, who touched me? And this woman, definitely, it already says she had been healed. The bleeding had literally stopped, and she felt inside her body she was healed. Praise God, that's a phenomenal miracle. And she's hiding. Interesting how we've had interactions with the Lord, but yet we're still hiding. That we've actually had we've received salvation, and yet we're just still like carrying so much baggage and shame. Because if if Jesus knew, then then he would be unclean because I touched him, and I don't want to make Jesus unclean. I'm just I, there's just too many things going on. I, I he can't know that I did this. So he says, "Who touched me?" And the disciples respond, "Jesus, come on, man, like." We're all around you. And it says that he kept looking. Oh, I, please get this. He kept looking. You realize that Jesus knew who it was, right? Like this isn't baffling Jesus, but he's giving you and I an opportunity to respond to him. And I, and I love it because uh, with this situation, he just keeps looking. He's just like, fine, I'll wait. I'm right here. Hey, when you want to talk, when you, when you want that transformation of heart and mind and soul, hey, I'm here, but man, I know you already have me in you. Come on. He just keeps on knocking. He keeps on saying, hey, I'm right here. Just I'm waiting." And this is the beautiful part. And I want to have the worship team come up. We're going to close in, in worship. I, I love closing in worship. I don't know about you. So we're going to continue to do that because I like it. Um, depending on where you're at with church and life, and whether you're you've been at Life Church for a long time or not, I, I've I, I've experienced enough through church over the last 20 years that I feel like we've gained an understanding, at least for us and who we are and what we do. Of, I like closing in worship. Instead of me saying, "Hey, raise your hand," like you want to receive Christ, like, I get that. There's times and places for that for sure. And we'll do that occasionally. But you can do that in worship. Amen. Hello. Jesus is calling. <laughs> that was perfect timing. Thank you for that. <laughs> no shame. I promise. No shame. <laughs> but when we stand and we sing praises of the Lord, we have this opportunity just to connect with him. And I, I love that. It's safer to me that, look, you don't need me to talk to the Lord. Man, I want to I want to bring you to the feet of Jesus, all that through preaching. I, amen. I, man, let's get to the altar. But this is your chance to respond to the Lord. So in this story, what I think is so profound is she could have hid. She could have held back, and she would have been healed. Healed. She could have took her healing and gone home. Think about this. Some of us have taken our salvation and gone home. But Jesus says, oh, there's a great commission. There's something more for you. I've got deep, profound purpose for every one of you. She could have kept this to herself. She didn't have to tell anybody. She could have gone home and healed. And it's phenomenal, right? 12 years. Of course, praise God, amazing. But Jesus says, who touched me? And he keeps waiting. And, And it says that she came to him and she shared the whole truth. She didn't shy away from anything. She told the one person who she could be most vulnerable with and most honest with right then and there. And in the midst of the crowd too, by the way. That's a whole nother sermon, but this is a moment with you and Jesus where you get to decide: Are you are you just going to keep this aside, or are you going to go, "No, Jesus, you touched my life, you've transformed my life, you've met me in ways that I nobody would know," and she shares the whole truth: I've been bleeding for twelve years, and I touched you, and I'm so sorry because. I know what that means. And, and Jesus goes, Daughter, you're well, you're freed. He says, Daughter, and, and that really is salvation, just so you know. When he says daughter, he claims her as his. So that's salvation. You believe in me, you accept me, you trust who I am. And then it says, Go in peace and be free from your suffering. And shame will make you suffer forever. It's a moment where you get to respond and worship and just say, "Lord, I'm done with this shame. I'm done with whatever it might be. It might be something completely different." But don't take don't take the miracle and go home. Take the miracle and go thrive. Can we stand together? Thank you for listening today. We hope that this week's message encouraged you. Life Church meets every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. here in Chico, California. You can also listen to us online during our 9 a.m. live stream. We would love the opportunity to connect with you, so please visit our website, lifechurchchico.org.